0: Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats. So I am sitting here with Panthera's director of the Leopard Program, Guy Baum. Guy, thank you so much for joining us this morning at Ambion Tengile River Lodge uh, to chat. Um, We're basically here to find out a little bit more about you, what you do, and Panthera's relationship with Ambion and um, a little bit about the conservation work that Panthera has done. Thanks Josh. morning. It's good, good to be here. Oh, good to have you here. So I'm going to jump right in Guy and the first question I have for you is um, what is Panthera and in a nutshell and what are their main aims or objectives? Sure. So Panthera
1: is a, a charity which is based in New York but which funds overseas and implements projects on wildcat conservation all over the world. Uh, so our our mission is to secure a future for the world's cats, and, and we work in, in Asia, we, we do work on, on tigers and snow leopards, in uh, Latin America on jaguars, in North America on mountain lions, and then here in Africa on, on lions, cheetahs and, and leopards.
0: So basically on all the iconic cat species of the world? All, all the iconic cat species as well as the, the smaller cat species. We,
1: we have a, a, a growing small cat program now, and um, so, so we do work on, um, on all those cat species and obviously on, on the landscapes where they live. You can't just protect cats, you need to also look after their habitats, the prey that they need.
0: Mm-hmm. And so we've taken a holistic approach to that. That's fantastic. Um, and uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your history as well. Uh, you were a guide at and beyond Pinda Private Game Reserve. And I think you mentioned you, used to, you worked here briefly in the Sabi Sands as well. Um, tell us a bit about your story. Um, and how you came to find your passion for big cattle for leopards?
1: Sure. Um, so, I've always loved the bush. I think since I was a little kid, I was always always going to work in, in the bush in conservation. Um, I was very fortunate in that I, I um, have uh, my family run a lodge here in the Sabi Sands, and so I was able to visit this area um, from when I was just a, a wee little sprog. <laughs> and, um, and then I went on to study at, at UCT, so I studied uh, Bachelor of Science in Zoology and I'd just done my honours, and and though I wanted to carry on with an academic career, I I just needed to get a bush fix. And so I- Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough, as, as most I think any sane person would want. But um, so I I, I contacted Unbeyond Beyond and I went on the arranger course and I was posted at Pinder. Thrilled about it, I'd always heard about Pinder. It just sounded like an amazing reserve. And and basically the deal I, I'd uh, arranged with my um, then supervisor, at UCT is that I would be able to come and guide for two years and then I'd head back to UCT to do a, a PhD, but on, on birds. So initially I was... Oh wow, uh,
0: so you were initially going to be doing something on birds?
1: Absolutely. And, and so I was a, a budding ornithologist and not just any bird, it was a, a very dull, boring bird, an African sedge warbler that I was lined up to do a, a PhD on. So I'd been guiding at Pindef for almost a year then and um, the an opportunity came up to, to basically be part of a, a, a new leopard uh, research program, that and beyond, and Panthera. Then it, it, it wasn't actually Panthera, it was the Wildlife Conservation Society, but but soon taken over Panthera, uh, wanting to establish, and this just sounded amazing, so I applied, somehow managed to get the job, and then had the very awkward conversation with my supervisor saying that I was no longer going to be working on sedge warblers, but on <laughs> leopards. Um, They've never forgiven me. They basically think that I drop birds for the glory of big cats. I, I try to tell them that almost everywhere in the world where I work on cats, you never get to see the damn things, but I can always bird watch, so I get the best of both. But, um,
0: well, the next time we're out, we'll have to point out some birds and not just the tracks of leopards.
1: Yeah, uh, Josh, I've got rusty since then, I'm afraid. But, yeah, so that's, that's, how it, that's how it all started. So I guess it was almost an accident that I, I landed up working on leopards, but, but that was almost 20 years ago,
0: and, and I have loved every moment since. Awesome. Um, and speaking of Ambiond, um your time there and Ambiond and Panthera, um, can you give us sort of a, a brief history of the relationship between Ambion and Panthera?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, my, 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 uh, my first boss and my PhD supervisor uh, was an Australian by the name of Dr. Luke Hunter. And and Luke had done his PhD on Pinda when it was first formed. So so Luke had had worked on the reintroduction of of lions and cheetah uh, into Pinda. At that at that time, we knew very little about how to reintroduce cats um, into into reserves. Um, now it's a sort of a tried and tested method. But it really was. It was pioneered by by and beyond. I think in those early days, it was called Conscorp. But um, mm. so it was it was pioneered by the work that that people like Les Carlisle. Um, and Luke did, um, bringing these cats in um, and, and working out how to ensure that they could um, successfully survive in a, in a, in a new um, environment and so that is where the, the, the relationship I guess um, grew. Um, after that Luke, Luke left, um, he, he headed back to Australia and was, worked in academia for a while and then like I say joined up with the Wildlife Conservation Society and um, Kevin Petorius who was the reserve manager at Pindath at that time um uh, reached out to Luke and said that they were, had concerns about the leopard population. Um, they were worried about some of the persecution in, in neighboring areas and would he be interested in, in carrying on with his work on cats in the reserve but here looking at at what impacts that persecution was having on Pindas' leopards and, and, and how could we how could we rectify that situation. And, um, and then I stepped in as the very keen and willing um, research assistant to Luke. So that, that's where the... the, the um, I guess the relationship, how it's grown and, and
0: it's just continued from there onwards over hmm. the years. Oh, that's wonderful. And you've mentioned the persecution of leopards in that area and it leads very nicely into my next question for you. And I, I think um, most people who work for and beyond in some way, shape or form have heard about the documentary To Skin a Cat. And uh, so I wanted to ask you, Um, You know, one of the most notable successes for Panthera in recent times is the relationship built with the the Shembi church. And um, I wanted to ask about the documentary to Skin a Cat and the influence that this has had on leopard conservation um, in that region in KwaZulu-Natal.
1: Okay, so I guess just to go back to sort of the, like I say, when the project first started, we didn't actually know what the main drivers of the the population decline in Pindu was. What was causing
0: leopards? the numbers just to continually decrease there. and and sorry to interrupt you guy how did you originally know that the numbers were decreasing was it through like camera trap surveys or so initially through anecdotal evidence just from the guides they would habituate
1: a cat and finally start being able to view leopards in that area and then that cat would disappear and then Mm -hmm. that process happened again and again and again so we, we started the more intensive research to try find out okay what's going on we put radio collars on um, on lots of leopards at that stage. It was by far the most extensive research program that ever happened on the species. We collared over 70 leopards in the end. Um, we also ran wow. camera trap surveys uh, to be able to estimate leopard population densities. And then because we repeated these every two years, we could see how uh, the population trend changed, how, how numbers changed over time. And it soon became very clear that the population was in, in steep decline, literally in free fall. Um, wow. And, and we were able to work out why because we had this sort of this, this intensive data on on how long leopards were living for and, and when they died what was the cause of death and we were interestingly in the early years it, it seemed to be more related to just poorly managed trophy hunting and problem animal control and and so we took that that evidence we took the data and we worked with the provincial authority in the area which is isvelo Natal wildlife and and they Absorbed all this information, and they they changed their policies, which had a, had a, a just a, an unbelievable effect on the leopard population. As soon as hunting and problem animal control policies changed, we saw numbers start to rebound. So within a few years, that pinda population had almost doubled in size. But then it started to drop off again, and this seemed to be due to other reasons. And um, and again, just because we continued the research, that program ran for over 10 years. Wow. Um, yeah. So we were able to see now it was more poaching of leopards, so snaring of cats, targeted poisoning of cats, which was, um, which was causing this now, again, repeated decline. And, um, and when we did some further investigation, we found out that the, the reasons that leopards were being poached was primarily for their skins, so that there, there, was, there was demand, real demand for leopard skins amongst different uh, ethnic groups here in South Africa um for ceremonial wear so so leopards have always played a very important role in in some cultures um, The wearing of leopard skins is a, it's a sort of symbol of power of prestige mm. Yeah, usually and
0: something for the for the royals or for 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 yeah for leaders, I guess
1: exactly so it used to be limited to just a few individuals and unfortunately those Cultural taboos on who could and couldn't wear leopard skins has changed over time and, and now almost anyone is wearing these skins and, um, and this was really evident with a, a, a religious group known as the Nazareth Baptist Church or Shembi Church. Um, they had adopted leopards as their, their totem species. They wore leopard skins as a, a symbol of worship. And, and there are literally millions of Shembi worshippers. So um, mm. this was a problem for leopards. Uh, demand was very high and, and, and this is what was causing this, like I say, marked increase in poaching for the cats. And so, so you asked about the, the documentary, Forms for Life. Well, a, a colleague of mine that, that was working with me at Pinda at the time, um, he then sort of delved into this pro, uh, project and well, problem, I should, get, I should say, which turned into the Furs for Life project. And, um, and Tristan Dickerson um, started working with the Shemby leadership, trying to find out, like I say, the, the motivations for the use of leopard skins, were the alternatives, and he soon realized that, that when one visited these shembi gatherings that you would see that, that some uh, Shembi members were, were celebrating, were dancing, using fake skins. They just couldn't afford a real leopard skin. Mm. And, and that led us on to this idea, maybe we could replace all the real skins being used by the Shembees with a, a synthetic alternative. And, and, and so started the Furs for Life program um, and the, the, the documentary to skin a cat, basically shows the sort of progress that we made over the years it also shows why conservationists should never get involved in fashion I, <laughs> I think what could have taken us so to develop this this synthetic garment um it's, it's termed an amabata it's a shoulder cape that um that shambi members wear um to, to develop that probably if we had we'd gone to an expert it could have taken us six months it took us about five years to get a, a cost effective and realistic looking alternative mm. in the alternative
0: end. to leopard skins yeah. oh.
1: but but it's been amazing and it's and because of the this this very close relationship that we have with the shambi uh, leadership because they've they've bought into the project they've endorsed it and, and the trust
0: that you've built together yeah
1: absolutely well. it wasn't something that we tried to force on them we just, it wasn't a prescribed solution to it we sort of worked together to say okay how can we address this this is not sustainable this sort of demand for thousands of leopards every year. It just yeah. Soon there would be no more of these cats left.
0: I think that's a, maybe another reason why Ambion and Panthera work so well together because it's kind of alternatives for the people, by the people, if that makes sense. So it wasn't like you were just forcing things upon them but more communicating with them directly and saying, how can we fix this together?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It was, a, it was a very close partnership. And it's. No. And I've, I've realized, I think when I first got into to working conservation, I thought I'd be working with animals. And, um, and I realize all the time if you want to make any significant inroads in conservation you it's all about people it's about changing human behavior so um maybe i got involved in the wrong job in the, in the end but i should be in a guide i should carry on as a guy but um but no and, and we and can have, switch places yeah, if you like yeah, i don't think i'd
0: have quite the same candor as you but i don't know well, if i had this office that no, i'm all for that but
1: um but the yeah it, it it's been a remarkable project because so now we we've we've donated i think as of this year about nineteen thousand of these Faux skins to oh. Shembi members, and you could almost think about it as every skin is a leopard saved. Yeah, and, for sure. And it's, it's, it is very rare in conservation that you have a, a nice, neatly packaged solution to a, a
0: problem. Most mm-hmm. of the time, it's sort of conservation is all about these wicked issues or wicked problems. It's about. And something has to give, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, maybe the most amazing thing about this is that you allowed a cultural and religious group to maintain their beliefs and traditions whilst also. Saving the leopard
1: yeah absolutely it was it was a, a lovely a mix of the two to mm. be able to ensure that everyone everyone won in this situation mm-hmm. and, and don't get me wrong it's no silver bullet this on its own the the, the, the faux skins on its own doesn't solve the problem, and we still have to We do a lot of work on um, educational outreach with shemi members working with um, with our um, our, our uh, conservation leaders in South Africa with regards to policy and the use of skins, so it still has to be part of a broader package, but, but it, 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 it was a remarkable success. We, how we, we gauge um, the, our impact on, on how much of the demand we've reduced, is we go to shemmy gatherings and we record the ratio of how many authentic skins there are to fake skins. Um, and when we first started going to shemmy gatherings in 2013-14, for, every, um, uh, for a, a, every fake skin that we would see, we would see eight authentic skins. Now, when we go to a Shambi gathering, they're typically at parity. We see one fake skin for one authentic skin. And mm. slowly but surely, that ratio, soon we'll start seeing more fake skins to authentic skins. So,
0: Swinging in a favorable favorable direction.
1: Absolutely. And so that's a really good um, indication that we seem to have achieved our objective. We seem to have been able to reduce demand amongst the user group, amongst the Shambi. And then if we look at camera trap surveys in different parts of the country, we can also see how populations have started to rebound. So much like Pinda, when we, we changed the, the policies around hunting, problem animal control, we were able to see how leopards could respond. Here we see it at a national scale. So leopard populations across South Africa are starting to recover because some of the pressure has been taken off. And It's, it's one of the things I really love about working with, with cats, is, is how quickly they can recover if the situation allows them to. So as long as conditions are suitable, they can respond and recover Rapidly, I mean, if you're looking at slower-lived animals like rhinos or elephants, that's much harder. It mm. takes a long time to see any changes in a population. Leopards, we get, uh, like I say, if we get the right mix, you get a very rapid return. You can mm. see, you can see, uh, you can see your, um, your your impact very quickly, which is um,
0: which is heartening. Think? Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm. And so, I mean, that's just one of the um, incredible, well, one of the most notable projects that Panthera has done. And, just the tip of the iceberg really with some of the conservation work that you guys do. Um, bringing it back to the, to the Sabi sands, um, why, why is and beyond Kirkman's camp and really this entire region, why is it so ideal for, um, for studying leopards?
1: When we'd finished the project at Pinda, so that ran for 10 years, um, from 2002 to 2012, so we radio collared a lot of cats. We, it was, at that time, it was the seminal study on the species. And we learned a great deal about leopards and we'd been able to use that information to to change policy to improve conservation practices Um, but there were still huge gaps in our knowledge of the species and ultimately if you want to protect an animal you need to know about it you need to know all the ins and outs about its behavior its ecology its evolution and um and because i had always known about the sabi sands like i say i have a, a family history here known about these incredibly relaxed leopards and, and importantly about how well documented the individual cats had been by the different guides and lodges, I I realized that we had an opportunity to plug some of those holes in our knowledge about leopards. And so I started reaching out to different guides um, from and beyond and, and other lodges um, in the region and slowly but surely starting to reconstruct the life histories of the different individual leopards which have been tracked over the last 40 plus years, so dating right back to the late 70s. That's an incredible amount of data. Yeah, an unbelievable, and it was, um, and it's far gone beyond anything that we expected to achieve here in this project. So, so just to give you an indication, we now have life history data, so we know exactly when um, individuals were born, died, for the most part, what happened to them for over 850 leopards. Wow, we that's have incredible. um spatial data. So we have the locations for more than 90,000 sightings. Um, over 10,000 leopard kills, um, and, and comparable data on the other large carnivores in the system, so on lions, on, on wild dogs, on cheetahs, and so it's not just the leopards, but their competitors. We have good data on the prey, so it's, it has been a remarkable research project, which is all on the bat of, of, of ecotourism, of, mm. of, of guides collecting the information for us,
0: and, and so it's, it's, it's done very cheaply, but, it, but it's rigorous, and, 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 it's very and, intensive, isn't it? I mean, you get every, almost every little last single detail. Absolutely, and and and, and information we would never be able to achieve using other, um,
1: I guess, research methods such as radio telemetry or camera trapping. So, it is, yeah, it's a unique opportunity, and 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 now certainly one of the the leading cat studies, not just leopard studies. It, it's 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 it's, unful, it's 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 well surpassed what what we did at Pinda, at least from a, a research perspective. Um, but, but among all cat projects, there's probably only maybe two or three other cat studies on lions and, and cheetah, which come close to rivaling just the, the length of time that we, um, or the number of generations that we've been able to follow, um, and the number of different individuals. So, and, and this long-term data really does give us insight into population drivers, what mm-hmm. what regulates leopard populations, and we need that information here in a controlled system where leopards are really well protected, when they are behaving like leopards should do. And this is now the exception, not the norm anymore. This really is. It's it's, it's, it's probably one of the few leopard populations in the world. Now, if you think leopards occur across much of sub-Saharan Africa and and Asia, this is maybe a handful or a dozen leopard populations which are occurring naturally. For the most part, now, leopards are impacted by humans. but, But we need to have that control. We need to have a reference population to know what they would do in natural circumstances mm. to know okay what we should we be aiming for what is our conservation goal this mm. is our benchmark and so not only do we learn about the drivers about leopard populations
0: through our intensive research here but we also know what we need to be aiming towards how to apply it to other places and absolutely other leopard populations absolutely oh, fantastic I, I should have probably asked this question earlier actually but I'm going to ask it now and I wanted to know um, why would you say that leopards are such an important species to conserve because they're rad no. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good answer I think most of the guides yeah. here would agree <laughs> Josh no, um, no so, so
1: leopards I guess like many apex predators they are what is, what is termed an umbrella species they, they, if you protect leopards you're, you're protecting a vast amount of other uh, species, are the uh, forms of wildlife, biodiversity underneath them. They need large mm. tracts of land to be able to be protected. Um, they they fulfill a key role in ecosystems. that sort of right, right at the top of the food web. So so you have these knock on effects. If you can successfully conserve carnivores, just by virtue you are looking after a whole host of other animals and plants, mm. um, but below them. And so so they they really do. They do a uh, uh, they fulfill a very important role as an umbrella species. Um, leopards are, are, from a conservation sense, um, a, a, a useful model to use um, for different conservation approaches because they occur both inside and outside of protected areas mm. um, and they often occur in much closer proximity to people than, than many other large carnivores. So they ra- really are right at the interface um, of some of the conservation challenges, the conflicts that we face when trying to look after other large carnivores, and, and so that means we can test different approaches using leopards, um, that that is would be much harder with things like tigers, which are more endangered, more isolated to sort of um, protected areas. The same is true for lions, etc. So, so not only are they important umbrella species, they are an important species for allowing us to test different types of conservation
0: interventions. I mean, of course you guys can't use exactly what you find on the leopards and, and consider it to be true for other things, but it certainly gives you a very good idea of how perhaps to go about conserving some of these other species, as you say, that occur in such close conflict with people. Absolutely. so
1: a lot of the conservation challenges that we face are common uh, among the different cat species, among different large carnivores. So it comes down to competing with people, um, posing threats to people 's lives and livelihoods, and so yeah, leopards give us a, a very useful opportunity to be able to test those conservation approaches and don 't get me wrong it 's just they 're not just a, a test case we, we, we need to we really do need to like i say um, uh, we really do need to implement effective conservation interventions for leopards themselves in their own right. Mm. Uh, Kirkmans and um, this area is, is unique, as I said. Mm. This, is, this is one of the few places where, where the cats are effectively protected. For the most part, they're not. And we've seen that across leopard range, populations are in real trouble and, and, and probably as much trouble as, as other more endangered species that, that, that we, well, I guess, are, uh, what people might be more aware of, things like lions. Um, uh, tigers, uh, rhinos, all of these these um, species are very much in the uh, I guess in the public um, limelight and mm. people are aware that there they are conservation issues with these particular species, but with leopards they often seem to fall off the conservation radar. They, mm. they, it is almost assumed that because they can survive in closer proximity to, with, with people that, that their conservation status is assured. It doesn't really matter what happens, they will be able to bounce back. But, but as our information about leopard populations improve we realize that that this is not the case that in many places they're in trouble
0: you know i think um it's interesting that you mentioned that the leopards you feel like they aren't necessarily in the limelight and from from a guest perspective, what's been quite interesting to see over the past sort of four or five years is like a lot of people will come on safari and they'll they'll ask to see you know lions. Lions is always a big one, so like you say, they're very much in the limelight and their struggles are in the limelight. Um, but initially, even when people come to this area, they don't necessarily ask to see a leopard. And part of that is because of I think maybe the leopard's elusive nature, so they don't come here thinking we're definitely going to see one. They come here thinking leopards will be tricky to see. But more and more we're starting to see leopards really rise to the fore of this iconic species that they should be. People come here and one of the first things that they say when we ask them, what are you hoping to see on your safari, is a leopard. And so I think, like you say, it's great that we're finally bringing leopards and their, their struggles to the, the limelight. I think you know, guiding guests here is just one of those ways that we can bring them to the, to the limelight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably one of the reasons they were neglected is because... As you said, that elusive nature—people would never expect it to be able to see it. And it's taken decades here in the Sabi Sands to be able to um, to, to get the cats habituated enough that you can you can have such regular sightings. It, th- this is—it's remarkable. It's—I uh, I think it's a—it's—it's uh, it's wonderful that the Kirkmans that um, that this this area, this reserve, is not only the place where I guess leopard viewing is 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 at its best and and where you've been able to bring leopards back up into public awareness Mm. but it's also now with the science and the sort of partnership we have with and beyond and the other lodges it's where we're learning most about the species so you have no this has been a this is this has been the platform for a great deal of um of leopard science of leopard conservation leopard uh yeah leopard public awareness um Mm. the the whole lot it's
0: it really is it's 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 a massive amount for the for the species. And so we've spoken a lot about how, I guess, for for lack of a better term, accessible the leopards are to our viewing here. We can we can see them and we can collect data on them, um, which which we send to you guys. Um, with the recent studies that you're doing in this area, um, can you give us a, a, a brief summary of the the kind of data you're looking to collect, and um, maybe the the kind of um, papers you're looking to write if that's the right way to ask it what are you here collecting at the moment sure so
1: it's so most so, so that, that we we have different types of data that we collect through the project um all done by the guides for the most part um so so each of the lodges um when they go out and game drive the guides will will take note of when they see leopards and other large carnivores for that matter um, and when they return We've developed a, a customized software, so the guides, they come, they, they will record all the key information that we require, so which individual was seen, where was it seen, did they kill something, did they interact with another individual. Um, and so we're getting standardized data from all the different lodges um, across the reserve on all sightings. And, and like I say, that, it, it, it it's, a, it's a remarkable how many sightings there are. So on average, there's about 10,000 leopard sightings in the, in, in, in the Sabi Sands each year
0: unbelievable that's a lot
1: of leopard sightings it is a, a lot of leopard sightings and and so that that tells us it gives us very important demographic information so how often how often are leopards breeding how often do they have um litters how many of those cubs survive um what are the survival rates of of adults uh what are the main causes of mortality um also important spatial data so we can we can work out leopard the size of leopards' home ranges if they are preferring or avoiding particular type of habitats how they interact with other carnivores and, and their prey within the system so that's that gives us some of the important behavioural and ecological data then to look at the population data we we um, run camera trap surveys so we we deploy camera traps um, and we have across the whole reserve. And that tells us more about um, what is the the density of leopards in this area. How does density vary across the reserve with regards to different vegetation types, to distance to water, etc., things like that. Mm. Also very useful information about leopard activity because game drives only operate at a a certain time of day. We sort of, we get a a biased look at what is happening um, with leopards around dawn and dusk, whereas the camera traps give us a, a full day record so we can see much more about the activity. We then also um, collect genetic data. We want to see how um, leopards are related to one another. Um, are there any issues with regards to the genetic health of populations? Are there problems with inbreeding, etc.? And to collect that genetic data, uh, we ask the guides to uh, to collect scat, to collect leopard feces for us. This is the
0: less glamorous side of being a. a, a, a Field guide here at but but it's amazing what you can tell from even that kind of data right
1: it is incredible so we can work out you know, who are uh, which uh, who side a particular litter's. we can work out how related individuals are to one another that's important within a, a spatial context um, so so no the genetic data tells us a, a vast amount um, and 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 more recently now we're starting to collect uh, even the audio of leopards and, and use that in sort of experiments to see how Uh, individuals react to known individuals versus uh, unknown individuals and and, and what again drives various parts of their population dynamics so so even though this isn't a dedicated uh, research study we are able to collect all those types of information that you typically would in a research study but here using the field guides at a fraction of the cost and and with a successful ecotourism operation so it really is we get the best of both worlds
0: yeah i mean that is fantastic that the again we've spoken about this population of leopards and how um how you can use them to collect all this data and uh, i'm sure that all the data and the, the papers that you write and the um and all that stuff goes into making important conservation decisions regarding leopards elsewhere across their range
1: it does, it absolutely does. Um, so Panthera is a conservation organization. We Ultimately, everything we do needs to lead to us being able to better protect leopards and other cat species. Um, so to, to give you some ideas, so one of the, the studies that we did here was to, are you able to effectively age leopards? So um, leopards are, uh, they're an important species for the trophy hunting industry. Um, they, they, they can bring in money to securing wildlife habitat, but it needs to be managed um, and uh, effectively it needs to be based on sound science and obviously because there are vast amounts of money that people would pay to hunt leopards uh there is the incentive for governments to to over harvest to have mm. quotas which are too high unsustainable and um so we um working with with other scientists from the university of minnesota um we developed a model whereby we could show that if 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 you hunted leopards over a certain age, so it's actually males over 7 years old, regardless of how many males over 7 years old you hunted, it would have very little effect on population viability. Hmm. Uh, that is great in theory, but to actually do this in practice, you need to be able to recognize what a 7-year-old male leopard no, looks like. You have to
0: be able to tell the exact age of the leopard.
1: Absolutely. And so, um, uh, there, there are, because there had been almost no, bar for pinda, there had been no long-term uh, research studies of leopards, we didn't have known age individuals, but but here most leopards are seen sometimes when they're a few days old, but, but typically within a few weeks. And so we know with great confidence when they were born, how old they are. And so I reached out to guides if they could please send photographs of known age individuals and we started looking at different cues, different phenotypic cues, so morphological cues on how one could age leopards. We looked at um, whether their ears got more tatty as they um, as they got older, whether they had more scarring on the muzzle, uh, the colour of their nose, um, but ultimately what ended up being the most reliable cue for being able to um, identify a seven-year-old plus male was was its dewlap. just it oh, this, okay. this, yeah, this flap of skin underneath the neck. Um, uh, male leopards start developing this, I guess, at about three, four years old, um, but it is only very pronounced. It's well developed by the time they hit seven, and so. Now, just to give you a case in point, the South African um, government has recently uh, passed a law that, that hunters may only um, target leopards with well-developed dewlaps. So this is, this is what has come out of guides taking photographs of individual cats here on the Sabi Sands, now is influencing policy at a national level in South Africa and is being picked up at, a, at, at sort of a continental level across Africa. It's likely to become the standard going forward. So that's just one example of how... what what would seem like very simple information actually translates into
0: very effective conservation action. That's incredible, thank thank you for sharing that. It's nice to see the progression of of things and how it all works. So speaking about all the stuff in in South Africa and Africa, I wanted to ask you um, about Asia and South America, So, and and Beyond has operations there as well. Um, Does Panthera run similar projects to this with conservation initiatives in those regions too? So we have
1: conservation projects
0: in um, throughout much of of of,
1: um, of Latin America and, and and Asia. So, like I was saying earlier on, we we do a lot of work in in Latin America on jaguars. Um, we're starting to develop a similar program in the Pantanal, working with the different ecotourism operators there, to to collect information on known individuals, um, to to be able to um, see where they move, who's interacting with who, how long they survive, etc. But but there, the, the tourism industry is nowhere nearly, near as established as it is here in South Africa, so mm. we're at the early stages of that. Um, but again, we can use this. We can use the the, the, um, the Sabi Sands project as a great mo- road map on how to move forwards over time. Um, I guess similarly as the, the tourism operators there are using the model developed here to, to run a better um, tourism operation. Um, in Asia, uh, we, we don't really run any of these type of, I guess, what would be termed a specialised citizen science project, um, just because many of the tiger sites we work on aren't really in the sort of key tourist areas. But um, but I've been in contact with some of the scientists that that in, in some of the better known tiger reserves like Ranthambore, they do they do this. They're doing the exact same thing. They're saying, okay, well, it's remarkable what you've achieved here in the Sabi Sands with leopards. We we know most of our individual tigers. Can you? share the different types of software that, that you're using. Can you um, just provide some insight on the lessons learned on how best to be able to to derive rigorous scientific data from a, a caturism model? And so so even if it's not our own projects there, there's certainly um, we can use um, we can use this model in a variety of different contexts.
0: Mm. Oh that yeah that's fantastic. And there's pretty much no other way to describe the work that Panthera's done for big cats other than groundbreaking. I mean, the fact that it's being used in other regions of the world is is um, amazing. And And Beyond is obviously uh, very happy to be able to be a part of it as well. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I feel like we could probably sit here and talk to you all day about this stuff. It's, it's so interesting and thank you so much for sharing all of your um, insights and, and, and thoughts on all, all of this. Um, so I, I, th- I would like to end on um, on one other question and i wanted to ask you personally what is your favorite um leopard experience whether it's from when you were a guide or, or or now as the director of the leopard program do you have one moment that really stands out for you um
1: it's difficult there's a, there's a lot of moments it's been a, that's a good a, sign <laughs> there's been a, i've had uh, yeah i've been very fortunate to have some incredible Experiences with leopards and other cats in sort of the 20 odd years that I've been working on them, um, I guess many of the most phenomenal sightings, sort of what would someone would say are traditional sightings, have, have happened here in the Sabi Sands, where you really do you just see the most r- remarkable interactions between individuals. So, multiple leopards interacting together, doing things that you would never expect of a solitary cat, and leopards making kills. And but um, probably the most memorable for me was actually at Pinda, and it was. It was in the early stages of the project there, and, and leopards at Pinda in those days, were very shy, very skittish. We just... Um,
0: Not that easy to see.
1: No, I mean, you'd basically see a spot disappearing off into a thicket. That was the, that was the best sort of leopard sighting, if one, if one was lucky enough to have one, that, that you could expect. And, um, and after about a year and a half, uh, there was a, a female leopard, a young female leopard, We um, named her Chinga at that time, that was, was resident in the north of the reserve and and she started to relax a bit and I'll, n- I'll never forget going out in the early morning it was i don't know hoppers three four in the morning so it was before the guides had started going out and there was a beautiful section there the mziki marsh and it's it's not leopard habitat it's a big sort of open grassland wetland system and um and she was there and it was mist coming up and beautiful a lot of th- a lot of palms around and for the first time, she just actually allowed me to sit there and watch her for, I had her for about two hours. And and, and that literally was probably an order of magnitude longer than I'd ever sat with a leopard at Pinda. And, and she didn't do anything ex- exceptionally exciting. She sort of lay around and got up and stretched and then lay down again. She was a cold cat will hunk hunkered up. But it was just, it was a sign of the fact that they were, she was finally coming to accept me. She was finally... Mm. After a, a lot of hard work was was finally realizing that not all vehicles pose a threat and um and soon we had other cats starting to do that across the reserve and now pinda's leopard viewing is is fantastic it, it, it it's 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 one of the best places in the world to see leopards as well as many other species. so I think for me, it wasn't any i guess remarkable behavior, but it was just that that sense of satisfaction of seeing a a very shy, relaxed leopard finally accepting accepting us and, and being able to, to enjoy that and be privileged to, to experience that.
0: Well, I guess it really speaks to the relationship between humans and leopards. It can be a, a trustful one, and it doesn't have to be one of, of fear. Which, and I think if you speak to any of the guides who've worked in these regions for any amount of time, it's not necessarily the most uh, action-packed or hair-raising sightings, but it's moments like you've just described – where it's one-of-a-kind sighting, first time ever, and it's just you on, like you said, a beautiful misty morning on Pindar. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your stories with us today, Guy, and, and spending your time with us. We really appreciate it. Um, and look forward to perhaps the next one in the future. Uh, thanks, Josh. No, absolutely. Um, it's an, and again, just a,
1: a, a huge thank you to all, all the guides here at Kirkman's um, and, and, and to and beyond and the other lodges that have supported Panthera. Um, we we wouldn't be able to 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 collect these data, to to make the advances in leopard conservation that we have and that we hope to continue to do if if it wasn't for your hard work. So so you really do you, you all go above and beyond what is expected, and so we 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 really are deeply grateful. So thank you very much.
0: Well, I think if you say to a guide you need to watch leopards for the rest of your guiding career, I don't think that'd be <laughs> too sad. But it is only a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to N Beyond Fireside Chats: A Life in the Wild. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. If you have any comments or feedback, or would like to suggest a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, drop us an email at firesidechats at We'd love to hear from you.